Hello and welcome in to the pod after touchdown fantasy football podcast. I am your host, Sam Hoppin, joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Mackins, and we are also joined by a very special guest. It is Justin Mandero. He is also known by his Twitter handle, jman underscore ff. He is a contributor for the Undroppables and the Fantasy Authority. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's a beautiful night, so I appreciate you letting me hop on and uh, talk about my homer, uh, my homerism a little bit here. Yeah, of course. We're happy to have you on. We're obviously talking about the NFC East today, going to cover his Dallas Cowboys and try to figure out why they have not paid Dak Prescott yet. But before we get to that, Andrew, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Just finished eating some uh, lovely buffalo cauliflower, which, quick sidebar, has to be the greatest scam that humankind has uh, pulled in the culinary world. It's basically chicken wings. But, you know, you want to take cauliflower, which on its own tastes horrible, and basically like bake it, deep fry it, whatever you want, throw it in buffalo sauce. It's delicious. That is one hot take. Right out of the gate here, I would consider. Uh, I'd say that bacon with Brussels sprouts is almost even worse. Just that's like, up there. That's up there. We're gonna we're gonna try and get you to eat this healthy, gross snack by putting a couple bacon bits in there. <laughs> but that's uh, that that's a discussion for another day. Um, save it for the food podcast. We'll see, yeah, we'll save it for the food podcast. So as always, today we will start off with our kickoff question. We'll go into our mental health minutes, followed by our NFC East divisional preview. So without further ado, let's kick things off. And this game is underway. All right, so we've been doing it for each of our divisional previews, talking about who our favorite is to win the division Justin, are the Cowboys going to win this year? I mean, obviously, as a Cowboy fan, lifelong fan here, uh, it's going to be easy for me to just jump on that bandwagon and say, yes, <laughs> it is going to be. Um, but I think there's just too many questions to really determine whether or not Dallas can actually do it. The way that I look at it is, with Dak, with the additions that they made, specifically with C.D. Lamb and Obviously, the coaching change, which happened probably 10 years too long, they are poised to finally be able to do that and do it more consistently in the future. But that Eagles team is no joke. And uh, if you know their uh, wide receiver weapons can stay healthy, if their offensive line can stay healthy, it's going to be really tough for the Cowboys to really do uh, kind of unseat them just in general. Uh, as a homer, it's Cowboys all day, uh, and there's no chance in the world that the Eagles have a shot at it. But in reality, there's just a lot of question marks in Dallas that really need to be answered uh, quick if we're really going to have a better shot at, at getting there for sure. So we're Packers fans, so we're obviously very intimately familiar with Mike McCarthy. I think he is an upgrade at the coaching uh, position, I guess you call it. Um over Jason Garrett, I think that is the, the Cowboys severely underperformed last year and they had one of the best offenses, most efficient offenses. And I think their defense took a little bit of a hit with some of the players that they lost, but it's, I, I think it's the Cowboys division to lose. The Eagles are good, but I don't think they have quite as high of a ceiling as the Cowboys do. And I just, again, if, It'd be tough for the Cowboys to lose this division. Andrew, what do you think? I agree. We're, we're pretty much in lockstep here. I actually just looked up the Vegas odds or points bet odds specifically for win totals. And Cowboys and Eagles are both at nine and a half. So I think that's interesting because you think with the Cowboys and Mike McCarthy coming in that they would be a bit higher in projected win total. I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, I'm a sucker for narrative, and, and I think a lot of people are out there. And the way Mike McCarthy talked about his year off from football and then coming back in and all of the film that he's been watching make it made it sound like he went to Dagobah and learned from Master Yoda how to call plays for, for a year. So 
it it really makes it seem like they could run the table. Not not to steal from Aaron Rodgers' terminology, but um, I you know with the addition of Ceedee Lamb, I would love. I, I can't believe I'm saying this about the Cowboys, but I would love to see them just be this offensive powerhouse in terms of the passing game. You know, obviously they've got Zeke as a power horse. Eagles obviously become dark horse just because I think they're you know chasing that idea of a second Super Bowl victory but it's just a tough situation for them they haven't been able to put it all together roster wise so you mentioned the off or the I guess the off year that Mike McCarthy had last year I was actually listening to uh, a PFF podcast earlier today and they were talking about how they actually had him at their Cincinnati campus to you know just have him visit and talk about analytics and stuff like that and that's that's where it sort of clicked for me because we, you know, we've heard all this talk about him starting to believe in the analytics and, and stuff like that. And they mentioned how he pushed back a little bit on some of their notion that the running game doesn't matter as much, but I think he's full on ready to commit to it. I hope obviously from a fantasy perspective that they continue to air it out, but it, uh, it sounds like we're all riding high on, the Cowboys this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that my biggest thing here uh, is when I look back at McCarthy, and I'll tell you right now, I was not a fan of this signing. Not because I don't think Mike McCarthy is this terrible head coach. I just don't think he's that much better than Jason Garrett. When I look at it, I think of it, do we have a chicken and the egg type of situation here, right? What is the thing that made the Packers so good? Was it Mike McCarthy's coaching? Was it Aaron Rodgers' ability to protect the ball, not uh, not turn it over, to extend drives with his legs, to be one of the most accurate quarterbacks we've ever seen in the history of football? Or was it because Mike McCarthy put him in that position? Right. I, I look at that similarly to the way that I look at the Tom Brady-Bill Bel- Belichick situation, right? Is it that Bill Belichick is this mastermind who failed at coaching before being a Patriots head coach? And then all of a sudden it clicked for him or was it just right time, right situation for both Bill and Brady to be kind of bouncing ideas off of each other? Bill made Brady, Brady made Bill. I don't think that that's the case in Green Bay. And when I look at the numbers, specifically when I look at at Aaron Rodgers numbers, uh, you know, let's compare that to Dak's season last year. Dak had over 4,900 yards, had 30 touchdowns, right? clearly had his career year, but in terms of yards, Aaron Rodgers only hit 4,900 yards uh, three times in his entire career. That was with Mike McCarthy at, at, at head coach. I just don't see how Mike McCarthy comes in and all of a sudden makes Dak this new all-worldly person and turns him into an Aaron Rodgers. I just right. don't see that happening. So for me as a Cowboy fan, I wanted to see someone like Lincoln Riley, a new guy, a new face, someone who may not necessarily have experience at the NFL level but clearly stood out at the college level. It helps that I'm also an Oklahoma Sooners fan, right? (laughs) Uh, Specifically a Sooners fan living in Austin. So, of course, I got to go horns down every chance I get. But I wanted to see Lincoln Riley. He's proven that he was able to take – these basically walk-on quarterbacks and turn them into Heisman Trophy winners. So could he have made Dak more efficient? My thought is yes. So for me, questions still surround whether or not McCarthy is that much better than Jason Garrett. Sure, he's got a Super Bowl. Sure, he's got more playoff wins. But again, is that because he was such a good coach or because Aaron Rodgers was such a good quarterback? So to me, there's just too much to still say. Uh, for for anyone to think that the Eagles are on the outside looking in. I think there's just too, still too many question marks to determine that just yet. Yeah, you bring up a lot of great points. We'll obviously talk about Dak Prescott here in a couple minutes. But before we get to that, why don't we take a couple couple minutes for our mental health minute. And as we've been doing for, for each of our guests, Justin, hoping you'll You'll share with us uh, one or one or two ways that you found has been helpful in keeping your mental health in a good state during this unquestionably crazy time of quarantine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for for mental health, it's it's all about taking care of yourself. And for me, it's it's finding your meditation. 
I don't meditate. I don't do yoga. I'm a 350 pounds monster. Uh, and it's just, I'm not limber enough to be able to do any of those things. But for me, it's like taking myself and kind of putting it outside of my own body or my own soul for a second and being able to just remove myself from some of the craziness that goes on in this world, right? Whether it be take an hour to myself to just kind of sit and relax and not be on social media or uh, whether it be to, you know, go to bed earlier or whatever. Uh, but for me, the biggest thing is, you know, I'm, I'm also a big gamer, right? So to kind of just sit down, put the stick, you know, the controller in my hand, uh, whoop someone's butt in Madden uh, or <laughs> shoot someone's face off in Call of Duty, whatever it was, I took the time to really kind of just separate myself, my full life and everything going on and, and everything that was surrounding it yeah. and put it on pause for, for an hour, you know, that's great. kids are running around and screaming, but I, I had to do it <laughs> in order to keep you know, things safe yeah. and, and moving forward. Gaming. That's what I love to hear. Yeah. That's something Andrew can certainly relate to. He, uh, we're both, uh, into video games, but him much more than I. So thank you. Thank you, Justin, for sharing that. We appreciate you, giving us a little peek behind the curtain. So let's get into the meat of our show, our final divisional preview of the offseason. It is the NFC East. Last year, obviously, the Philadelphia Eagles took the reins, but Dak Prescott had an outstanding season as a quarterback, finished inside the top five. And we're going to start this off with a question that I think I know the answer to for everyone, but which of Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, and Daniel Jones has the best shot to finish as the quarterback one overall? And Andrew, I'll, I'll let you start with this one. Well, I'll, I'll keep it short and I'll say Prescott has the best chance, which is why you know he's get, seen the ADP that he is in redraft format. But I will take the rest of my time to say that Wentz, I think, has done more with less than any quarterback in the NFL thus far. Wide, wide receivers were trash last year, and he's still being drafted as like a top eight, top ten quarterback in redraft leagues. So if they can just improve that a little bit, whether it's with Jalen Rager, uh, whether it's with Dallas Goddard taking the, ne the next step and Peterson being able to get both tight ends in, in better space, uh, he's always – a a sleeper candidate and and I know you and I have loved him a lot year over year. Right. You you took took the words pretty much out of my mouth. I mean it Wentz has some sneaky upside upside that I don't think people quite realized. He hasn't produced quite like his twenty seventeen self in a while, but last year he did finish as the quarterback nine. So I think there's more of a chance for Wentz to finish at the top than people give him credit for. But Justin, are, are you riding with Prescott all the way here? Uh, I mean, I want to again, cause I'm a Cowboys fan, but I'm actually going to go Wentz here. You know, when I look at the numbers, when I look at the numbers, Dak was excellent against teams that just weren't that good. But when he faced over 500 teams, it, it's a completely different story. He didn't finish drives. Uh, he certainly didn't, have a, a tremendous third down percentage. In fact, I was just looking at the numbers yesterday. Dak had lost almost 7% on his completion percentage on third downs versus first and second downs. And not being able to complete drives uh, is a significant issue, both as a fan and as a person that does rank uh, Prescott really high on my list. But if you look at the last uh, five weeks of the season, so week 13 through week 17, Wentz actually beats uh, Prescott in fantasy points, according to PFF, kind of just standard PPR rating. Now, it's not by a lot. It's not by a lot. It's only about three points. Um, but that just goes to show that he was doing that with, right. as, as Andrew was saying, with uh, basically a ham sandwich and an empty bag <laughs> of potato chips. While Dak had all of these weapons and had all these things going on for him, um, and and Wentz outplayed him, and that includes four touchdowns against the uh, for for Prescott. That includes four touchdowns against the Redskins uh, there. So I, I just look at it and I go, there really is something to say about what Wentz was able to do with so little that yeah. uh, you know I, I don't know if he could truly be QB one. 
right? If we're looking at overall numbers, because that's still going to be, you know, your Lamars, your, your Patricks and things yeah. like that. I don't, I don't think it's going to be close, but uh, I don't think that it's too far off to think that Wentz could outplay everyone else in the NFC East for sure. I love it. I love the, the bit contrarian take. I think it's, it's a, uh, it's a bit refreshing to hear that. Uh, obviously none of us took Daniel Jones in, in that prompt, but are, are we scared off from drafting Daniel Jones because of his early season season schedule? He plays at home against Pittsburgh to start the se- season. He goes to Chicago in week two and then hosts the 49ers in week three. I personally am not that worried. I don't think the Bears defense is as good as they were a couple of years ago. San Francisco's defense, I think, will regress a little bit. So there might be some opportunities there. They obviously lost a couple pieces on the defensive line this offseason. And Pittsburgh, I think, is probably what scares me the most. But it's it's week one. Like the the season, <laughs> the first week of the season is going to be messy regardless just because of this shitstorm of an offseason we've had. Is anyone else more bullish on Jones or, or are you avoiding Jones because of this early season schedule? Yeah, I'm actually in the process of, of writing for the Undroppables, the New York Giants offseason preview. And, and I did focus on that exact point, right? Uh, his schedule in 2020 is pretty intense. Uh, so you only really talked about the first three weeks. Uh, I mean, he's also facing two more top 10 defenses, according to PFF defensive rating. Uh, in weeks four and five. That includes a game against the Cowboys, or against the Cowboys, right? Then he's got the Redskins. Then he's got the Eagles twice over the next couple of weeks. Um, And then he finishes out the season not so easily either, looking at uh, approved Bucks defense, approved Cardinals defense. The Seahawks are on the road, and I'm blanking right now, but I believe they're also set to play the Ravens week 17. I just don't think that Daniel Jones is someone that you can really trust unless it's a, uh, you know, a super flex. I don't think Daniel Jones is someone you can really trust going into the season or even through the playoffs uh, because that schedule is brutal for, for what he's going to face. Yeah. I, I think you bring up a good point there, Justin. I'll, you know, kind of play it down the middle here. And I think a lot of people talk about Daniel Jones as this, you know, the big bump in second from first year to second year, the improvement that could happen there. You know, if he holds onto the ball better, he'll reduce the amount of fumbles. He can, he can run and make plays that way. People really like the amount of weapons that he has in terms of the, the receiving core. Um, but I think the questions are certainly there. And I think that the schedule doesn't make the decision any easier. I've got Ben Roethlisberger and Jared Goff in the same tier as uh, Jones and the more and more that I think about it, I'm leaning Goff among those three, just strictly based on more definitive passing volume, and right. the schedule kind of scares me a bit. Well, I wasn't expecting us all to be so differing in opinions for these first couple questions. Normally, uh, there's a bit of consensus to start off, but I like the spirited debate that we're having to start off. So let's try to continue that as we go into the running back position. Someone that has been talked about a lot this offseason, and I say a lot because Miles Sanders has gotten a ton of buzz, but the question is, do you believe that Doug Peterson bucks the trend of his running back by committee philosophy with Miles Sanders, or does Boston Scott uh, or some other veteran addition encroach enough to prevent Sanders from making the jump into the elite RB tier. And I I think Andrew and I have spoken enough about our thoughts on this in episodes past. So Justin, I'll let you have the floor for this. Yeah. I mean, this, this is going to be super tough for me. Uh, I want to be a Sanders believer. I want to be the guy that says, yes, everything that you saw, uh, towards the end of last year is going to prove that he's going to get those touches. I mean, he had 17 touches in week 13 against Miami, 15 against New York, uh, New York, uh, you know, 19 against Washington, 20 against Dallas. And then all of a sudden it was like, Hey, let's not worry about Miles Sanders anymore. 
Uh, and so it was basically over at that point. Now, granted, I know that he was nursing some, uh, some issues there with his legs, but I mean, you all of a sudden just basically drop off completely after having back to back, you know, six or seven games in a row where you had double digit touches, uh, at least from, from, or double digit, um, rushes, excuse me. I think Boston, Boston Scott has a legit, um, opportunity to steal a lot from here. I do believe Sanders will get more touches. I think the if if I had to go kind of split, probably going to be more like 65-35 Sanders Scott. But I think that 35 is going to be pretty significant in significant times on the field. So I don't think it's going to be so much that Sanders is the go-to guy on the goal line. I mean, I saw Boston Scott make some ridiculous plays inside the 10-yard line last year, and uh, I could see that trend continuing in 2020 for sure. Yeah, I I think Boston Scott takes over that that Darren Sproles role, which has not been small in that offense. So, Justin, you and I are pretty well aligned on that. Andrew, anything you want to add to this? Yes, of course. Uh, you want more spirited debate? I'm going to give the people the Miles Sanders take that they need on the other side of this during our podcast. Give it to me. The biggest thing that I've been thinking about lately is Doug Peterson, throughout his coaching career, before you know became the head coach of the Eagles, he's no stranger to a lead back in the offense that he's been a part of. When he was the quarterback's coach in Philadelphia, 2011 and 2012, Sean McCoy was there. When he was the offensive coordinator with the Kansas City Chiefs, 2013 to 2015, Jamal Charles was the running back. Things have moved towards running back by committee more uh, in 2020 NFL. But I don't see the, the argument that's out there. The counter argument that's out there is that Doug Peterson has not had a good enough running back to take over a bell cow role yet in his head coaching tenure. And Miles Sanders can be that guy based on what we saw last year. Yeah. OJ Howard was supposed to be that guy for Bruce Arians last year uh, because Arians had never had a tight end as prolific as OJ Howard. And now he isn't even being drafted. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what ends up yeah, happening. We're talking about a totally different position. What, yes, what but, but, <laughs> but the the philosophy remains the same. There, the argument last year was that Bruce Arians never used his tight end, but now he comes to Tampa Bay and he's got a tight end that's otherworldly in, in OJ Howard and is one of the most athletic and you know best most efficient tight ends. So he's got to use it, but. What did he do? He didn't use him at all. He he barely saw the field. Cameron Brait was getting targets and snaps over him. So I I just don't think someone who's done it that way for that long, you know, he's been around some some workhorse backs, but that doesn't necessarily mean he has wanted to to go that way. But let's let's move on. Uh, we might get another spirited debate on this next guy, and that's Darius Geis. The third-year running back for the Washington football team. I think it's pretty well known that he is a bit of a risk given his injury concern. He has yet to play a full 16 games in his two seasons. He missed his entire rookie season. So it's not a whether uh, it's not a question of whether he is a risk. It's a question of where is he worth the risk. So his current ADP is at the beginning of the eighth round at around running back 34. Andrew, since you were so emphatic in that last debate, do you want to take us through some mishmash logic on Darius Geis? <laughs> well, I don't know if this is mishmash logic, but I have definitely been warming up to Geis. Um, and, you know, particularly when you do look at that zero RB strategy, I think he is a guy to target in the sixth, seventh, eighth round or, or later, um, or so as early as the sixth round because of his upside, his skill in college, his, his production there, and the fact that he has just had some bad luck when it comes to his injury history. I'll cite our medical expert, Adam Hutchison uh, at Undroppables, did a great kind of side-by-side comparison about what Todd Gurley has gone through and then what Darius Geis has gone through and what we should expect for 2020. 
I'll, I'll definitely share that article out via our Twitter because I think that is what really started, you know, warming me up to guys. And of course you see all the workout videos. So that makes just adds fuel to the hype train. Yeah. But is he jumping out of pools like Saquon is? I haven't seen that yet. Maybe he'll, he's worried about pulling a quad or something. If he does that, <laughs> he probably would. Uh, <laughs> Justin, where do you land on the Darius Geist debate? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like what you said there, Andrew, the very beginning, you were talking about zero RB strategy, right? Uh, giving fantasy players the opportunity to, uh, wait, uh, at the position. I think though, if you're waiting for a guy like Geis, you could be waiting a long time, uh, or it could pay off and you have a smash and grab, right? And then you don't really have to worry about it. Uh, yes, his quads look like they are massive. Uh, and if we know anything about uh, NFC East running backs with massive quads, uh, <laughs> that should bode well for him. Uh, and of course, I mean, you look at this, the last two games where he was on the field, week 13 and week 14, he crushed it. I think he had over six, over seven yards per carry uh, during those two weeks alone. And so if he just gets the opportunities, you know, I think uh, things will be really, really good for guys. I also think, you know, you're, you're getting a new head coach in Ron Rivera. Uh, he's been a, a little bit more susceptible to making sure his running backs touch the ball. Uh, he certainly is, uh, you know, no stranger to a quarterback that does have the ability to move. I know Haskins doesn't really move all that. It doesn't move um, too specifically, but has the ability to do so if called upon. Um, and, you know, he really needs his own development. So I think they're going to rely on Geis a lot. And if, if he does stay healthy, uh, you know, there's been a, a hype train for four years or three years on the guy so far. And so uh, we're really hoping that he can kind of pan out, but it is a boomer bust. If you do zero RB strategy and you go with Geis later in the draft, uh, it could absolutely crush you for sure. So just keep that so, in mind as you're making that decision. It's interesting. You both mentioned taking Geis in a zero RB type of draft, I would actually prefer to have him in a draft where I've loaded up on three or four running backs to start and then have him as my third, maybe fourth running back. Because if you're going zero RB and then you take Geis as your first or second running back, you could be zero RB by week three because he gets hurt again. And I just probably won't have him on any teams as as run heavy as that offense was at the end of last year. I think that was more of a function of the Bill Callahan filling in as interim head coach. I consider Geis in the ninth or 10th round because that's when you're, you're really starting to take some shots on players. But I think this, this defense isn't that great. So they're going to be passing a ton and it just, the injury risk, I, Again, it, he'll he'll get to be a value at a certain point in the draft, but I don't think it'll ever get to a point where I'll be having him on many of my rosters. But one of his teammates in the pass-catching department, Terry McLaurin, has tons and tons of buzz around him as well. So let's talk about him for a minute because I think he can take a massive leap this year, his second year in the league with Dwayne Haskins under center. I think I, I currently have him as a middle middle wide receiver two, but I think he could be a wide receiver one by year's end. I, I like him better than guys like AJ Brown. I think we know, again, like I said, that Washington is going to have to throw the ball. He is the clear number one pass catching in that pass catching option in that offense there's no doubting that there you know there's not a second wide receiver that really stands out they don't have a tight end Antonio Gibson might be the the next best thing after him which again sort of goes back to my my trepidation with Darius Geis and the just the plethora of options they have in that backfield but Haskins showed some signs of good play at the end of last year which encourages encourages me enough to think that he can support McLaurin throughout the entire year. So, uh, Justin, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Is Terry McLaurin good enough to make that massive leap? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I think you're looking at Terry McLaurin. I think you can look at Terry McLaurin in the same 
breath that you are looking at AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, but you have a significant discount when it comes to drafting, right? Um, You know, you're getting McLaurin later in drafts, but I think he's got a very similar situation. Now, granted, AJ Brown has got more of a veteran quarterback. Obviously DK Metcalf has Russell Wilson, probably a top three, top four quarterback in the league, uh, specifically from a fantasy fantasy perspective. Uh, And McLaurin only has Haskins, but I think a lot of people are sleeping on the fact that Haskins and McLaurin have chemistry dating back to college. Uh, This isn't a new um, kind of connection for the two of them. It's not like McLaurin is got Mitch Trubisky throwing him the ball and they've never played before. Right. Uh, So I think ultimately, you know, yes, it is going to be a big leap, but I think it's because both of them, I think both of them are going to take a big leap right earlier. We only talked about Jones, Wentz and Dak. I will tell you right now, I am super high on, on Haskins. You know, I think Haskins has got a tremendous amount of upside heading into 2020. And I think with Ron Rivera and that new coaching staff uh, focusing on the defense, I think Haskins is going to have a little bit more room to be himself a little bit where he didn't really have that last year. And McLaurin is going to have a, a large portion of that. But I'll also say, don't, don't sleep on Steven Sims. Uh, Sims is going to be an excellent wide receiver too in that offense. Uh, and I think they both have an opportunity to explode big time. Yeah. I think Stim- Sims is probably the one to encroach on targets. If there is anyone, I, I forgot about him for a minute, but to, to your point, the, you know, a lot of what has been talked about this off season, as far as teams that will succeed, it's the ones that have continuity. So play, you know, coaches, rolling over quarterbacks, rolling over things like that. And because Haskins and McLaurin have had that connection for so long, you know, someone like, like Antonio Gandy golden coming in, won't have as much chemistry with Haskins as McLaurin does. Andrew is, is Terry McLaurin ready to make the big second year leap. I'm right there with you guys for this one. So we can all, you know, huddle up and, and you know, make up. And, yeah, make up, uh, make a toast to Terry McLaurin and his second year breakout season. It's actually crazy thinking about you know how well he did last year, just from a you know perception, film standpoint, whatever, what have you. And then looking at his statistics, he had 58 receptions only on 93 targets, and so that easily has a chance to go up. A lot of times, I've I've heard analysts say, you know, if you can get up to 125 targets then you encroach on that fringe wide receiver one territory. Obviously, the more targets you get above that, like you are in an amazing spot. Um, he did have seven TDs last year, so you hope that that can be sticky uh, going into the next year. But I love him. Uh, Justin, I love that you brought up he uh, Steven Sims as a good second option, especially if people miss that the other Washington football team wide receiver, Kelvin Harmon, Kevin, Kelvin Harmon, he he injured himself. He's out for the year, I believe it was a torn ACL. So, um, and and I like you bring up the chemistry with Haskins as well. Good stuff. Good stuff. Never too much Terry McLaurin love. It's just, it's just such a good value too. Like you mentioned the AJ Brown, Metcalf, like they seem like they have this, you know, wide receiver one upside, but people are, you know, letting McLaurin fall farther because of that. Without a doubt, we we have gotten a little bit away from the Dallas Cowboys, uh, Justin, your team. So let's veer back their way because we obviously talked about them bringing in C.D. Lamb. They've obviously got Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup on the team as well. So the question here is just which of these three Cowboys wide receivers, do you prefer at his current ADP? And we talked about value with McLaurin just a second ago. So right now, Amari Cooper is going as the wide receiver 11 in the middle of the third round. Michael Gallup is the wide receiver 30 in the beginning of the seventh round. And C.D. Lamb is the wide receiver 43 being taken in the beginning of the 10th round. Justin, which guy do you think Dak Prescott is going to throw it to the most. I think it's easy to, um, I think it's easy to look at Cooper, right? They've obviously got the chemistry over two years. Uh, they have significantly 
together have bolstered a very, very dormant Cowboys passing attack over the last couple of years that has, has really kind of seen a rise. Um, but I think it's really, really hard if, if we're talking about value in AD, ADP here, not to talk about CD Lamb as being the absolute steal in this offense. Maybe not necessarily in the draft, but in this offense, he is that steal. I think Gallup is going a little too high. Um, I understand, you know, he had the targets, he had the receptions, he had the yards, uh, he, you know, had the touchdowns, had the big, the big breakout games when, when Cooper was seemingly non-existent on the field. But seventh round, you're, you're looking at, you know, other, you're looking at Terry McLaurin's, you're, you're looking at, at uh, you know, some other guys there that I think I'd rather have over Gallup in that spot. But CeeDee Lamb is coming into a, into a position where he's known for his ability to make people miss, his ability to get out of tackles. In fact, he, he missed, uh, he forced 38 missed tackles over the last two years of his college career. I'm pretty sure he's still making uh, Longhorn secondary players uh, miss tackles, uh, even to this second. Uh, there was one play in the game, in the, the Red River rivalry last year, where I'm pretty sure he broke four or five tackles to score a touchdown while tiptoeing on the sideline. So those are skills that we're going to see at the NFL level. Granted, the secondaries are going to be better. The safeties are going to hit harder, um, all of those things. But you're going to see C.D. Lamb facing nickel corners, safeties, linebackers, and they're just not going to be able to keep up with a guy who doesn't burn a lot but has excellent second-level speed and the ability to make people miss. Uh, You factor that into the fact that Mike McCarthy, in his last three years as a Packers head coach, ran 76% of his plays in three, four, and five wide receiver sets. That just goes to prove that there's going to be a ton of opportunity uh, for a guy like CD. And to get that level of opportunity in the 10th round is just an absolute no-brainer. You know, Justin, I think when you started that take, I was I had to look up some stuff because I'm like, wait a second. I, I'm about to just go in the complete opposite direction. But I, I'm going to give you credit there. You know, C.D. Lamb, I think, is what you mentioned, the top wide receiver prospect, many had said, and the quickest to become a, an all-star in the NFL. So the value, you, it's easy. It's very easy to take the latest guy. I was going to say uh, Michael Gallup. I thought he was going way later, but looking at uh, fantasy football calculator ADP. He is getting drafted right now in the sixth round. So I think that that's course corrected a bit with everyone pulling the COVID-19 trope out of their fantasy bag of tricks or their fantasy analyst bag of tricks that is. Um, but it, because it, it is hard to look away from 1100 receiving yards last year, he's going to be a third year wide receiver breakout. And it's someone that Dak can trust especially in those games where Cooper disappears against tough corner matchups. Um, Cause I think that will happen at times throughout the season. I do like Gallup if he falls far enough down in those middle rounds, but obviously whenever you talk about what's the best value, it's almost always the guy with the, with the latest round ADP. So I like the argument you put together there. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll take the Gallup side on this, but it, it's, it's really a toss up between, it's close. Those last two guys. I, I think there's just enough of a gap between Cooper and both of those guys where it it would be tough for Cooper to to live up to that value. But let's move on to the tight end position to finish things up. We talked about one injury prone player before in Darius Geis. So let's talk about another one, and that's Evan Ingram. Similar question to the one we had before is Evan Ingram's injury risk worth his ADP, which I believe is right around the the sixth round as well. So, Andrew, I know you've been turning uh, turning the gears in your head about Evan Ingram the past couple of weeks. So, where are you at today? <laughs> well, uh, it, it is interesting because I did draft Ingram in the sixth round last year. And I think late, a couple of rounds later is his appropriate ADP at this point because we saw, you know, it's easy for him to get injured. It's easy for him to just become a non-factor and you wasted a middle round pick and, and you're forced with playing the waiver wire. That said, and, and I think it bodes for a larger strategic conversation, is you could get Evan Ingram for early in the season and see, 
you know, he, how he could win you some weeks. And if he does get hurt, start streaming the position or draft him at his appropriate ADP and grab a second guy who's a potential breakout candidate in your redraft leagues. Uh, It's clear he has the talent, but the, our, again, our medical expert, Adam Hutchison at campcutlist.com, he wrote an injury breakdown on Evan Ingram and it just screamed like avoid, avoid, avoid. So if you are risk averse, then do not draft Evan Ingram. Justin, are you in the same boat as Andrew? Uh, I am basically completely off and Evan Ingram at this point. Um, I, I just look at his six-round ADP and I go, I don't get it. I understand the talent level. I understand the uh, the intrigue and all that stuff that's going along with it. But you basically have Jason Garrett, the serial clapper, um, you know, kind of calling that offense. Uh, you know, granted, Jason Witten was really, really good in that offense, but that's because he ran five-yard routes and sat down and you were able to, to find him as a kind of a security blanket. That's not Evan Ingram's game. And I just don't en- envision them using him the way uh, that his talent uh, portrays. Then at the same time, I don't know if I can trust his injury um, situation. And when I look at the numbers specifically, if you go to uh, the undroppables, we actually – are now uh, providing you with the FFPC um, ADP. So out of 307 drafts, he is going 40 spots higher than guys, or excuse me, 30 spots higher than guys like Mike Gusecki, TJ Hawkinson, uh, Noah Fant. These are all guys that have a little bit more of a track record. I know Hawkinson got injured last year. Um, Fant is still very, very young in, in the game. So is Gusecki, but they've got a little bit more of a track record and, and a little bit more of a comfortability for me to want to wait, save those 30 picks and be able to get my tight end late a little bit later and still feel comfortable with similar production because I know those guys will stay on the field or at least I hope they will. Good stuff. Yeah. I, I think Evan Ingram is appealing because of what he has shown when he is on the field, he, he is near elite and, who knows if Joe Judge sees how much success the Pats had with Gronk and uses Ingram in a similar fashion. But I really don't like any of these tight ends in this this mid-round range just because there's so much more room for them to disappoint than there is for them to outperform their ADP. Yeah, the best-case scenario for me for Evan Ingram is that Joe Judge, a wide receiver coach, granted for just one year in his career because he was a special teams coach for every other year in his his career, sees him more as a wide receiver. And if you start to see him line up more in kind of a wingback situation where he's not necessarily responsible for lining up in the three-point stance on the line and he's playing more in the slot or uh, is being moved around a little bit more, I think you'll see a little bit more production out of him. Um, But I just don't, Again, I'm not sure I can trust the injuries. I know yeah. everyone says in fantasy, don't look at you know the last histories and, and let that be the reason why you say no to a player. But after three or four years of it happening, or excuse me, two or three years of it happening uh, over and over and over again, I, I think that that bucks a trend. You know, And, and it's just something that I, I don't know I could do in the sixth round. Maybe if he's in the eighth round and you get value, great. But I, I don't think that's something you can do that early. Okay, so let's wrap up our division preview. We'll go around the horn, sharing one player that you are targeting from this division to have on your rosters and one player that you are avoiding at all costs, regardless of value. Justin, as our guest, we'll let you go first. Uh, so again, it's going to be an easy answer for me, uh, or the easy answer for me would be C.D. Lamb. I'm a Sooners fan. I'm a Cowboys fan. There's 160 targets or more than 160 targets missing out of the Cowboys offense from last year, which we haven't talked about yet. Uh, That is a significant amount of of targets. Blake Jarwin's numbers are going to go up. CeeDee Lamb will get his targets, will get his view. Uh, You know, Cooper, Gallup, all that stuff. I think it's easy for me to say CeeDee Lamb. But the guy that I am absolutely in love with this year is Dwayne Haskins. I think second year, he's, you know, uh, granted, new offense, new coaching system, new everything around him. Still, though, he's got a poor defense around him. I think Rivera's going to let him let it fly. 
Um, I think he's going to utilize Geis as a way to uh, kind of protect him a little bit. But I think him and McLaurin and Sims and uh, that passing game is going to flourish a little bit. Is he going to win you a league? Probably not. But as a, you know, a, a QB2, as a super flex option, I think Haskins is in a perfect position to score big uh, in 2020. And who's the player that you're going to be avoiding? Um, I think for me, it's Blake Jarwin. I think, uh, again, it's, uh, I think it's a situation where um, a lot of people are on this idea that because there's no Witten, because there's all these targets that are, are, are being missed, that Jarwin's going to be the one that gets it. Uh, if you look back, Mike McCarthy has not produced well with tight ends. Again, that might be that it's just Aaron Rodgers doesn't like to throw to the tight end. But I think Blake Jarwin is going to have these expectations, and it looks like he does have these expectations, that he is now all of a sudden going to be this 80 to 90 catch tight end that's going to score eight times a year and all of a sudden produce beyond his means. I just don't know if he's that guy. Uh, will he be serviceable? Yes. Um, but uh, I have in 18 drafts so far this year, I think I have him once, and uh, it's really because I got value on him. So. I think for me, it's going to be Jarwin. Um, I much would rather the, the receiving options in Dallas than, than Jarwin itself. Andrew, what are your targets and avoids for the NFC East? Yeah, I mean, I will keep it short with the targets because we talked about Terry McLaurin and Michael Gallup a lot. I'm going to dig deeper into the ADP for them, but depending on the position in the draft I'm uh, at, I'm going to be looking at where those guys fall to me and if I can get a, a – smidge of value i'd love to target either of those guys as uh you know especially like wide receiver three even wide receiver four if it's gallup because i thought he was lower in adp but in terms of an avoid i'm gonna go with darius slayton we did not talk about the giants wide receivers much uh, sam i think i know you're a bit of a sterling shepherd truther if, if i do know that correctly but with Darius Slayton, the biggest thing for me is like yes there's opportunity for improvement and there's some upside in that daniel jones uh, chemistry, but he scored over 50% of his fantasy points last year on eight plays, like the eight touchdowns that he had. So that really is not something that I want to bet my money on in year two. Yeah, I'm as much of a Sterling Shepard truther as you can be. I just love him so much. That's why I talk about him <laughs> on the podcast all the time. So the, the, the player I'm targeting is Terry McLaurin. I won't get into that because I talked about him a bunch and uh, similar for the player that I'm avoiding, it's, it's Evan Ingram. So don't need to dig any deeper into either of those guys. As we wrap up this show, we're going to do some rapid fire questions with our guests. So Justin, are you ready? Born ready. All right. I love it. Uh, first question. What is your favorite sport to watch besides NFL football? Uh, college football. Um, I grew up baseball, so it was uh, an easy question. It just got boring for me. Uh, All right. Hawaiian pizza, good or abomination? I don't even talk to me about pizza. I'm from New York. If uh, you're not from New York, it's not pizza. So anything outside <laughs> of it, so the Chicago stuff you talk about that you can, that you have over there, Sam, nah, it's not pizza. <laughs> it's like a baked tomato pie. Get out of here. All right, this is a Scott Fishbowl-related question. What was your favorite toy growing up? Uh, He-Man or uh, Ghostbusters. Uh, okay. I've got uh, – I still have some of those things stuck in a closet somewhere. Uh, it was nice. my favorite thing. Good stuff. Give us one streaming recommendation, TV or movie. Uh, okay, this is a good, good question. Anything on Apple TV Plus right now, uh, see it. If you haven't, see it. Um, it they, they are crushing content. My girlfriend and I watched The Morning Show and some the, the, the one with Chris Evans. I, I can't think of the name of it now, but both, both very oh, good. Oh, um, Defending Jacob. Defending Jacob yes. was tremendous. Uh, very, very but good. there's uh, Octavia Spencer – and Aaron, uh, Aaron Pollard in another show that is unbelievable. Uh, so literally, I've seen just about every streaming, every new season or every uh, new series that Apple TV's put out, and it has literally been amazing. Damn. 
That and the Ozark. If you haven't watched the Ozark yet, I don't know what you're doing up your life. <laughs> I need to catch up. I'm, I'm one season in. Oh, yeah. You've got a lot to do. <laughs> That's your homework for this week, okay? All right. All right. <laughs> all right. Next question. What is the best purchase that you've made this year? <clears throat> Uh, that's a good question. Um, to me, I'm a gamer, so I got myself a new kind of high res, uh, gaming monitor. So instead of, uh, I was always, you know, as a kid, get the 75 inch TV and play Madden on that, play your games on that. But nope, those monitors are quick and fast and simple and they just make things much better. Who is the first fantasy football player that you remember drafting? Uh, that would have been Sean Alexander, number nice. one overall. I want I want to say this was two thousand three, two thousand and four. Still in high school, uh, but Sean Alexander's is that uh, the first one that I remember for sure. All right, and our final question: If you had all the free time in the world, what's one hobby you would dedicate your time to that isn't fantasy football related? Probably gaming. I think uh, for me, it would be gaming, but. As a family man, I'll plug that it would be playing with my kids. So <laughs> yeah. if they hear this 20 years from now, that was, that's, that's the answer. Don't listen to the first part of that. We'll make sure we put this one in the time capsule. Justin, thank you very much for joining us. Before we leave, is there anything else that you would like to plug? Yeah, just, uh, you know, I'm new to the undroppables. I'm super excited to be there. Uh, you're going to see the Dallas Cowboys preview drop uh, here probably within the next 24 hours. Giants, Eagles, Redskins are all coming uh, coming soon. And uh, make sure to check us out on YouTube where we're going to have a lot of new video content dropping pretty quickly here. Awesome. Love to hear it. Love to have more people part of this awesome community. But for Andrew Mackins, at Andrew Mackins for Justin Mandero at jman underscore ff. I am Sam Hoppin at Sam Hoppin. You can follow our Twitter account for the podcast at pod after TD. And with that, the kick is good. Yeah.